1: Hello and welcome to the EDH RETCAST, where we're all about commander, data, and dad jokes. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, he puts the bad in battles. It's Matt
0: Morgan. So I've, I've come to learn that I really don't trust people who do acupuncture because really, they're always just looking to stab you in the back.
1: <laughs> wow, that, that's a very um, piercing observation there, I- Matt. I mean, my joke today—it really just gets right to the point. So, <laughs> yeah, you're really needling me with this. Uh, I, I can't really take it. That's uh, that's wonderful. I'm <laughs> I'm gonna stick it to this and uh, put a pin <laughs> in it. Let's move on. You are so I am I'm trying to outwit you on these, but you are so prepared, It's not gonna right? happen. Never gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, it's so wonderful. All right. Up next, he hopes one day to see a card called the Invasion of the Set Invasion. It's Dana Roach. Why
2: can't you hear a pterodactyl go to the bathroom? Because the P is silent. <laughs> I would have also accepted the sound is extinct, but yes, the P is indeed silent. <laughs>
1: All right, well, at least I got the dad joke over on one of you in this week <laughs>
0: right, yes I, yeah. I mean, I, I had a joke that I could have added into this for Dana, but the show
1: is PG-13, so can't <laughs> add that one on. <laughs> Goodness. All right, Dana, what is it that we're talking about in this week's episode? We're talking about battles. We're talking about I'll battle battles. you. The, uh, yes those, those uh those new card type things that have come out from march of the machine and different things exploring a little bit about what they're doing in commander and whether we like them or not and stuff to uh, see about those that should be pretty interesting uh, we've got some shout outs to do before we get to them though
2: first i'd like to thank chase also known as Manicurves, for so their helping editing the show you can find them on twitter at manacurves
1: Real quick, we also want to shout out Coalesce Apparel and Design, makers of absurdly cool magic-themed merch. Their Keeping It 100 series is legit. I love the Windgrace Forever shirt. And we, of course, recommend the EDH EDHREC collection, too. And I gotta say, these shirts are comfy. Use code EDHREC at checkout for any of your Coalesce purchases for 10% off your order. Again, that's code EDHREC. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by liking, subscribing
0: to this video on YouTube, subscribing on your local podcast app, or you can go to patreon.com slash where you have patron tiers of all sorts of levels. And it's just a nice way to get yourself a little bonus in addition to supporting the show. And we do a little shout-out for everybody who goes over to patreon.com slash edhretcast. And this week, that patron shout-out goes to Toby Tomaini. So uh, there's too many ways for us to say thank you to Toby. So I'm just going to be (laughs) brief about it. And uh, that's that's it. it. Toby, thank you so much for the support. Uh, Definitely appreciate it. Uh, Appreciate you a lot more than Michael Scott appreciates Toby in the office.
1: We, Matt is trying to set a record on how many weird, silly jokes he can put into the Patreon shout-out. <laughs> well, because we like to segue here, I'm trying to segue into, like, as many,
0: like, just full non-sequiturs as possible.
1: I, I believe you are succeeding. Toby, thank you so, so much. We hope that you appreciate our weird, uh, <laughs> our weird way of showing our appreciation. Oh, good. But it is a way of showing appreciation nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, yes, it is. <laughs> okay. Dana? As you so eloquently said, we're talking about battles. Uh, so we, we are indeed. Let's talk about battles. Dana, what are a battles?
2: <laughs> um, a battle is the first new card type we've gotten in Magic in, I, I want to say, about 12-ish years. I guess I can't remember. I, I, I should have looked that up in advance, but it's been a long time. Mm. Um so yeah, well, there, we got a new card type, and that is a pretty huge thing. We've only seen this current Siege iteration of battle, so there could be different ways they implement this card type down the road, but um, we just got 36 versions of this brand new card type in the most recent set, and uh, I figured it's worth delving into that and talking about it, because like I said, it's, it's such a singular thing that has happened you know, only a couple times in Magic's history.
0: And in keeping with kind of where fire design from Wizards of the Coast has gone, it's a kind of a complex card design, just in both in the nature of the card type, but then the amount of words that are going on the cards. Because again, battles are a 2 faced card. So there's, there's going to be two faces, two different sides of it. The first side is the side that you t- will typically cast from your hand. Then it's going to go on the battlefield, it's going to do something. And then battles, you have a chance to actually Kind of like Planeswalkers, you attack this card type, and then at the end, you get to flip it over and you get to do something in addition to what it did on the front. So there's a lot going on with rules interactions, with cards that are just going to happen, just a lot of effects that are going into the, the game as well.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah, like let's pick an example here as one of them. Invasion of Tarkir, that's a red battle. It costs two mana. It has five defense counters on it and it's a siege. And as a siege enters, you choose an opponent to protect it. And then you and others can attack it. But when it's defeated, i.e. when those defense counters are removed, then you will exile it and then cast it transformed. And so on the one side, it has this cool enter the battlefield effect to do damage based on the dragons that you reveal. In your hand and stuff like that, but then if you manage to defeat it, it flips over into a dragon all itself. And so that could be a payoff for, you know, if you are able to defeat this battle. It does say anyone can attack them. I don't think other people will help you <laughs> with that necessarily. <laughs> there could be some reasons where they want you to flip that, but it seems unlikely because it's not whoever defeats the battle gets the the flip side you as the owner will get the flip side when the battle is defeated. So that's an important thing to note.
2: Yeah. And it makes for, I think some interesting game decisions or at least some, some, some logic to card design that you don't get with planeswalkers. One of the problem I think with planeswalker design is how difficult a planeswalker is to remove in a one V one game is not the same as it is in commander Mm. in commander. All three people are, you know, theoretically incentivized to remove that Planeswalker because it's probably giving you some benefit. And so the difficulty in protecting that Planeswalker, if you cast it in a multiplayer game, is different than it would be if you were playing in a card in standard or modern or something. So from a design point of view, that feels like it's a lot more challenging to balance something and make it useful if it's being played in multiplayer versus being played in single player. That isn't the case with battles, Mm. for the most part. Battles are still only going to be attacked by you who's trying to gain the benefit way more often than not, even in a multiplayer game. Um, I think that allows them to to make battles that aren't nearly as swingy as Planeswalkers can be Mm. because they're going to more or less play the same way in a multiplayer game as they do in a single-player game. Um, And I found I've liked that quite a bit in my limited play with them. They feel like they are just consistent between formats in a way that I don't feel like Planeswalkers generally are.
0: Well, I think one of the big reasons for that is if you're the person that casts the battle card, for example, you want it to get to zero counters because then you get to cast Mm -hmm. the flip side of that. Whereas Planeswalkers, you want it to get as many counters as possible. And so there's kind of a flip side of that where people are going to try to make sure that you don't get all the counters removed from from your battle. Whereas with Planeswalkers all three players like you pointed out they're the ones that want the planeswalker to go away whereas mm-hmm. you're the only one that wants the the battle to go away so there's a nice play because planeswalkers they they do a, a lot with the social axis of the format mm. as soon as a planeswalker comes down you have three targets that are going to or three people that are going to put a target on it right. whereas a battle you only have one person that can defend it whereas the other two bystanders they can attack it, but like you said, Dana, I don't know how much they're gonna be incentivized
2: to attack it for you. Yeah, the, the planeswalker comparison I think is is really interesting. Um I, I don't dislike planeswalkers, but I don't love them either. I, I do think they sure. are are unpredictably swingy in a lot of formats, Commander as well as you know, things like limited. I've definitely had a ton of limited games at pre-releases or whatever where it feels like if someone sticks a planeswalker, you just lose. Like it's just, it, it accumulates so much value and it's so difficult to punch through and interact with it consistently that it's, it just feels like, like that's the kind of thing that turns a tide in the game. And that same Planeswalker and Commander can feel ad- absolutely useless because you will drop it and then there's three chances to remove it from your opponents. So that swinginess is something that I've just never really loved about Planeswalkers. And I really feel like battles address that. I felt like in the pre-release where I played against multiple battles They felt like they did a thing, and it then created an interesting gameplay where the person was going to be having to make difficult choices about where to put their damage if they wanted to try to flip it or hit me. And and the same exact gameplay occurs, I feel like, in Commander when I've seen battles where the person gets their their thing off it, and then decisions have to get made by that one person and, and you defending it. But it doesn't really scale strangely the way planeswalkers do, so... In a lot of ways, they just feel like kind of the fixed version of Planeswalkers to me. In addition, the fact that you are technically casting them once you've removed all the counters and they flip to the backside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an interaction point also that Planeswalkers don't have. Like you have multiple chances to counter that spell or respond to it in a way you don't with Planeswalkers. So I like the fact that they feel very techie too. Like you have a lot of chances to respond in a way maybe you don't with Planeswalkers.
0: I I do like the the fact that as like you said Dana as soon as you get the last defense counter off of them you have to cast it again you exi- you exile it and then it's cast again so you have another chance to counter it or anything like that mm. but also too like you pointed out Dana when a planeswalker comes down everybody's turning their attention to it and so it's not the fact that you're you're kind of allowing somebody to gain life. You're you're gaining yourself life because people are going to devote resources to attacking it instead of you. Whereas mm-hmm. it's kind of the reverse here, too, where if a battle comes down, say invasion of call time comes down, it has four defense counters on it. So you're gonna have to let effectively your opponents gain four life because you're devoting that many attackers or that much yes. in your your whatever resources you are, you're letting everybody gain that life instead of gaining the four life for you. So a planeswalk with four counters, t- ticks up to five, whatever, that effectively gains you five life. But a, a battle with four defense counters on it, that effectively lets your opponents gain 12 life collectively because that's an opportunity.
1: You could be attacking your opponents instead of this battle. This That right there is a thing that I am very fascinated by, especially because in a way, the thing that I appreciate the most about this new type is is that it encourages a little bit more chip damage to be in the game Mm -hmm. i feel like and maybe this is just my experience playing against the people that i tend to play against or playing against matt loves to play a bunch of big baddies morgan um but i i tend to see it, it 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 feels as though as commander players we can sometimes almost by accident slip into a cadence where no one's attacking no one's attacking no one's attacking and then the first combat step that truly happens is the one that ends the game And that's why we love different mechanics like the monarchy, for example, that actually encourages a little bit of like, ooh, I'll attack you for five, ooh, I'll attack you for two, I'll I'll leave my defenses down, I'll unturtle just for a bit to get that extra monarch thing, and battles are yet another form where I might be encouraged to actually not always turtle up quite so severely, and actually want to extend just a little bit out there. It does come at a cost, because I'm not attacking a player, but in most of Commander (laughs) games, I kind of already wasn't doing a lot of that chip damage to players, and yeah. Not only that, but in this case, I get to choose who is defending the thing, which means, I, I don't know, I feel like usually we all end up in those games where one person, mm, they've got a lot of tokens, or, uh, you know, they've got a, a bunch of keywords on their commander over there, so probably I'm not able to attack them. But you Spellslinger over there don't have any creatures in play, so if I give you this battle, which only has four defense counters on it, I'm going to get the benefit right away. As soon as I play this thing, I'm going to get to get both the front half and the benefit of the back half probably pretty darn quick because you seem a little unprepared for the siege lay on. And that is also just another fun dynamic. I like these small little tweaks that it can add into. It sort of feels like it adds a little bit more texture to a commander game.
2: Let's talk about an actual battle card, and I'm going to use Invasion of Fiora for an example because... Actually, I, I was playing Commander about an hour ago before the show, <laughs> and I had this in a deck and I actually got it into play. Um, invasion of Fiora, four black, black for a battle siege, and it comes into play with four defense counters on it. And it reads, when Invasion of Fiora enters the battlefield, choose one or both. Destroy all legendary creatures, destroy all non-legendary creatures, or obviously you can just destroy all creatures, basically. <laughs> um When you've worked the four defense counters off it, it then flips. And and by flips, I mean it's technically cast for no mana. Um, As Marchesa Resolute Monarch, which is a 3-6 legendary creature, human noble with menace and death touch. And Marchesa has a couple abilities. Whenever Marchesa attacks, remove all counters from up to one target permanent. Hmm. And at the beginning of your upkeep, if you haven't been dealt combat damage since your last turn, you draw a card and lose a life, which I love doing.
1: Um, <laughs> that's why you picked so, this one. I get it.
2: <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, so what you have basically is a is this battle that's that's going to be a board wipe. It's it's somewhat modular. Um, you can choose whether you're going to blow legendary creatures or non legendary creatures or blow them all up. It's kind of overcosted. You know, it's going to cost you two more than what a damnation would cost to do the same thing. Um, although you don't have the modular ability, I guess, on damnation. And, and that's maybe all it's going to do. Like, like that might be good enough, having a modular board wipe that's a little expensive. Maybe you're happy with that. Um, and, and that's what I think is really interesting about, about these. You can just be content, perhaps, with that front half, or at least be content with it for several turns. Maybe you just need to clear the board, and that's all you care about. And then when the opportunity prints itself down the road in, like, three or four turns, then maybe you'll knock those counters off it or use some trick to remove the counters and then get yourself that three, six menace death touch Marchesa. Um, I, I like that about it. I like the fact that like you have to make a whole bunch of choices along the way. Um, and it also lets you make those choices. You can, you can, you know, make those decisions. I think that makes for really good gameplay in a whole bunch of ways.
0: Yeah. Well, and Marchesa brings up a really cool point. So yeah, when, Marchesa Resolute Monarch attacks, remove all permanents from up to one target permanent. so you can either use it to flip your own battles, for example. You can kill off Planeswalkers for your opponents. It kind of does a cool Hex Parasite type of effect where uh, Hex Parasite, for those who don't remember, is one mana for an old old creature from one of the, the second time, actually, that we saw Phyrexian's and you can pay X in uh, Black Phyrexian mana, move up to X counters from target permanent, and then for every counter it gets, X Parasite gets plus one plus zero until the turn. Nobody really cares about the pump ability, but you're using it to manipulate counters. So it is actually kind of a very, very cool and unique thing to be able to m- manipulate and change the counters, especially when it says remove all counters from one target permanent, which... It's a permanent. So if it's a creature that's getting out of control with plus one plus encounters, for example, if there's a whole bunch of counters that are going on uh, a Perry, the Pulverizer, for example, and it's getting real big. Huh. There's a whole lot of play here that I I like the backside of the card, but also the, the front side is great, too. You can destroy non-legendary creatures or legendary creatures and or or both. Why not both? But yeah, there, there's a lot to like on Invasion of Fiora in general, but also there's some just really cool things that they're introducing and and play patterns that i, I like a lot
1: I, I quite agree like matt you've got a shaneed deck which is carrying it's all mardu cares about legendary creatures and i have to imagine that this potential one-sided board wipe is catching your interest regardless of whether or not you flip it ever <laughs> just because like i mean that's that, well that's thank thank you cool
0: ability Thank you for reminding me that deck exists because I now have one in my cart. So thank you very much, (laughs) Joe. There you go.
1: But yeah, no, the Hex Parasite is a really good thing to point out. There are other ways that you can manipulate these things without just having to resort to battle. Battle on battles. Wow, the name of the card type actually is probably going to be a little bit weird for me because the battles that you can battle are entering the battlefield, and that's just getting, you know, too many of the, the same word all at once. Uh, But yeah, being able to manipulate them like that, in this case of Marchesa, being able to continually run down even more of them that you might play, Hex Parasite removing future ones of them, I'm pretty sure there are quite a lot of other cards that remove all counters from permanence that if you really wanted to flip these, you'd be able to do it pretty darn easily without even having to go to the combat step. I mean, I'm foreseeing Glissa Sunslayer really, really
0: enjoying battles as a card type because Glissa in general is able to remove three counters from target permanent. I'm pretty sure they would have seeded Glissa Sunslayer in with that ability, knowing that battles were on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Just makes sense to me. I'm sure they have that kind of foresight if I could even see that coming. <laughs> but yeah, there, there's a lot of really cool things you can be doing, manipulating those counters. And, and I'm curious to see just because we, we've we already seen Glissa Sunslayer playing a lot of sagas already and being able to take the counters off, re-get those abilities. But then with battles, you just don't even have to try. You can still attack the people and then just take the counters off the
1: battles. Yeah, I kind of am I'm interested to see, I suppose, how that develops, like, because as we're talking about manipulating counters on these, I mean, these counters are proliferatable, right? Like, so if someone else has an innocuous evolution sage, they can also kind of mess with you a little bit by making it harder for you to <laughs> defeat these things. Yes. And I don't know that that is, again, like nice added extra texture to a game. So Dana, I like what you pointed out about, like, these things just having a, a good ability when they enter. And then later down the line, you can deal with it. But then also your opponents can, you know, do a Little bit of futzing as well, which I, I think is very, very cool.
2: Well, it, the manipulation on it also feels relatively fair. I guess might be the word. Like, if you proliferate an extra counter onto one of these battles, well, it's just slightly more difficult to to flip it over. Um, whereas, really, really often, if you're able to manipulate the counters on a planeswalker. <laughs> um particularly if it's one that with a really strong emblem now, like that just is is game changing or game ending um, right yeah i think we've all been in situations where someone has a doubling season out and they're threatening to cast a planeswalk and you're like if they do that's just going to be an auto ult and we're going to lose yeah um it, it doesn't feel that way with the manipulation for counters on these it, it definitely feels like a situation where, like obviously you don't want someone to cast a battle and immediately be able to remove the counters or you know, put four more onto yours that you're trying to flip over. But it also doesn't feel like it's quite so just absolutely game-changing in maybe, a, I don't know if unhealthy is a way I would phrase it, phrase it, but like it isn't always the most fun seeing that happen with Planeswalkers. And I feel like that's just kind of not how these function.
0: Yeah, it, I mean, it is kind of funny to me that doubling season – you, you want planeswalkers with a doubling season in play, whereas you don't want battles with a doubling season in play because right. <laughs> uh, you, you want zero counters on a battle, but you want all the counters on a planeswalker and doubling. So, hey, we found a, we found a situation where doubling season is
1: bad, folks. <laughs> that's funny, Matt. And that's actually an important thing. Like, you are, when you play a battle, you are choosing an opponent to protect it, but you are still the controller of that card. So mm-hmm. that's, yes. that's kind of an important distinction. That's, yep. that's very yep. funny. Yep.
2: In one last note, we mentioned how, like, these are a little more interactable than maybe planeswalkers are. Not only is there a second chance to counter them when they flip, once they flip into a thing, that thing is almost always removable, whether it's a creature or an enchantment or an artifact or whatever it is. Mm. It might be very strong, but like you still have an interaction point there. You can still swords to plowshares that that Marchesa um, Resolute Monarch once she comes into play. And it, it, again, it's giving you ways to to respond to the thing the person is doing in a way that just doesn't really always happen with Planeswalkers. And I, I, again, I, that's why I think these feel very much like a fixed version of walkers.
1: Yeah, I think that that comparison between these and Planeswalkers, like the distinctions here are many in a way that still feels like really, really engaging. There is a point of these that I do kind of still compare them to Planeswalkers, though, where I don't think it's sort of like we say that you don't want to evaluate a Planeswalker by its ultimate because it's not necessarily likely that you'll always get there. Mm-hmm. I do kind of feel that way about battles. Like I do feel as though I'm really only going to judge them by the front half, and I will consider the back half sort of gravy. And thankfully, For most of the ones that we've seen, well, uh, for a lot of the ones that we've seen here, I (laughs) really enjoy the front half of a lot of these. Like, Invasion of Innistrad is, I think, the battle that jumps out to me as a personal favorite. That's the four-mana battle that has flash, so you can play it at instant speed. And when it enters, it gives a creature minus 13, minus 13 until end of turn. It's a removal spell. Like, all right, cool. I'm absolutely down with that. And on the off chance that I happen to be playing anything that can blink this, like an Amanatu deck or whatever, well, then I can continually use a removal spell on this permanent. And I think that that's very, very fun. That's very, very cool. I also, I'm, I'm certainly going to play this in a zombie deck because if I do ever flip it over, it's a zombie token maker as well. And I'm all about that. But there's a lot of extra stuff that you can do here. And even if you are just evaluating them on the front half, I think there's still a lot that they are able to give you. And so anyway, that's just one of my personal favorites. Favorites, but i feel like you know if y'all want to shout out any personal favorites that have jumped out to you too please feel free i mean i think a personal favorite of mine
0: is one that we'll get to after we challenge the stats oh, come because come on it, <laughs> we, we are at that point in the episode we need to make sure we're sticking to a schedule joey
2: oh the, the battle for the segue matt has removed all the defense counters matt has Flipped it into the Segway Steel. Oh no.
1: Oh man. Yep. This war has begun a new <laughs> Invasion of the Segway. I alright. I couldn't I couldn't have it for very long. This You couldn't. We we let you have one. Everybody gets one. <laughs> alright. Well, yeah, I suppose we'll talk about more of our specific favorites after we take a break to challenge that data on the EDH rec.
2: I want to challenge the stats today on a card named Perilous Research. Mm. Um, We all know how much I love efficient draw spells. Uh, Perilous Research is one in a blue. Draw two cards, then sacrifice a permanent, which is something you usually see on black cards. Matter of fact, you see it in a bunch of really popular black cards, including things like Costly Plunder, which is in almost 25,000 decks. Perilous Research is in only 5,500 decks, and it's in a lot of decks that are also running costly plunder, things like Linda Cheerful Tormentor, Eloise and Nefalia Sleuth, things that care about sacrificing things. And in a lot of those decks, Perilous Research is just a more versatile, better version of the costly plunder card that people are already running. Hmm. Maybe you want to run both of them. I don't know. There's a bunch of other effects, things like village rights, whatever, that also are allowing you to sacrifice stuff. But being able to sacrifice anything on perilous research for two mana to draw those two cards compared to there's usually a restriction to creature or artifact in the back in the black effects you're better off just running perilous research and i think folks either don't know it exists or don't think to look for it because they're assuming that black is going to do that effect better um it doesn't always at least in this one particular narrow case so my challenge here is for perilous research if you are playing a deck that needs to sacrifice stuff and you're relying exclusively on black Blue has one option that may be more versatile.
1: I love that. Can I share with you one of my favorite ways I've ever seen Perilous Research be used? It was so, so cool. Someone played it in a Yasova Dragon Claw deck, which steals your opponent's creatures, and then they cast a Perilous Research and sacrifice the creature they stole after they hit someone with it. And I was like- Nice. Yeah, that felt felt really, I mean, I felt sorry for them, but I also didn't, because I'm like, value. So like that was, yeah.
2: And you expect that usually in black theft decks that that do that kind of thing, but you don't usually see it in decks that don't have access to black. And like, that's one of the few ways to do it in you solve so yeah absolutely
1: all right so i will move to our listener submitted challenge of the week and this one comes to us from jj mickey in our discord who's got a very simple but very good challenge here for an overplayed card in drivnod carnage dominus decks and that is the five mana eight three phyrexian horror that says if a creature dying causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger that ability triggers an additional time and JJ points out that there are only about 400 Drift Nod decks at the moment, but there's a bit of a nonbow going on in those decks that is definitely worth taking note of, and JJ, you know that we love pointing out any nonbos as potential overplay challenges. Specifically, Vran Executioner Thane is showing up in more than half of the Drivnod decks that have been built so far. Vran Executioner Thane is the 2-mana two 2-2 two, two Phyrectian Vampire that says whenever one or more other creatures you control dies, each opponent loses 2 life and you gain 2 life. But this ability triggers only once each turn. And that is actually very important with Drivnod's ability. Vran has the text triggers only once each, once each turn, and that negates Drivnod's ability. Even though it does say, oh, it triggered twice? Well, Vran is like, literally, nah, I, I can't so that is probably an important thing to take note of and there are plenty of other aristocrats cards that you could pay attention to instead thanks so much jj for your challenge
0: well i'll wrap us up then real quick for the week and i'm going to talk about one of the most popular commanders over the past few weeks which happens to be a new commander from one of the new pre-constructed decks which is sadar jabari of zelfir so that is the esper colored knights deck and it's all about making knights and just going burr, which I, I can definitely appreciate. Uh, Jabari has return of the eminence ability. So it's a, an ability that happens whether they're in the battlefield or the command zone. And whenever you attack with one or more knights, if Sadar Jabari of Zalfir is in the command zone or on the battlefield, draw a card, then discard a card. And then Jabari also has flying first strike. And whenever Sadar Jabari deals damage to a player, return target knight creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. So, with any pre-constructed deck, we always see cards that come in the deck out of the box that maybe they're not the most efficient use of a card slot in the deck. There's some cards that they're nice, they're fine, but you definitely want to be looking to upgrade them if you're making some new edits of your for yourself. One of these cards that it came in a pre-constructed deck that I had with, that we talked about earlier actually, um, my Shanid deck, mm-hmm. uh, is Jasu Vess Lich Knight. So Jasu Vess is two black black for a four or five legendary zombie knight and has kicker 5 and a black, and so Josu Vest has menace, and when Josu Vest lich knight enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, create 8 2-2 black zombie knight creature tokens with menace. Now, that's a lot of potential knights, but also you're also you're, you're looking at 10 mana, and I think there's just so many better things you can be doing with 10 mana, especially when you consider that if you happen to reanimate it with Siddharth Jabari's ability, you're not going to be able to get the kicker cost out of it being reanimated. It has to be a cast trigger. So mm. four mana for a four or five with menace, thats that's fine, but we're playing commander here. You want to do some big and cool things with four mana, and so I just don't think that this is really one of those holdover cards you want to be keeping around. It's still being played in over thirty-five percent of Sadar Jabari decks. I think that number is too high. That's one of those immediate cuts to me, uh, even over some of the uncommon knights that maybe aren't great. I definitely would be cutting Jasu Vest over this. In fact, one card that I think would be fantastic substitute is the Council of Four, which is not a knight in itself, but <laughs> whenever, whenever a player casts their second spell during their turn, you create a 2-2 white knight creature token. So, I mean, let your opponents make the army for you, pay a bunch of mana to make your own army. I think we know who wins here, but Council of Four is showing up in about a quarter of the decks so far. I think this is fantastic. You always want to be careful playing too many non-creature types in a creature types matter deck so council of four is not a knight itself but it makes a lot of knights it draws you a bunch of cards i think this might
1: be a case where you can make an exception but who knows but either way Josu vest give it the axe it so does i i as soon as you started saying the challenge i was like he, he's gonna mention council of four isn't he because that thing makes knight tokens you're gosh dang right i am and it makes so <laughs> many knight tokens it's one of my it's one of my favorite decks it's it's super fun i i like I said, you don't want to
0: play too many cards or cr- too many creatures, I should say, that don't have the specific creature type if you're playing a themed deck like that. Council of Four in Knights decks, I think, is a very, very valid exception.
1: Yeah, that that is a, a very slick pick. All right, guys, I guess we can get back to talking about battles now that we finished the battle of the Segway and to challenge the stats. I had just talked about a battle that I really enjoyed, um... And I was going to ask, Matt, are there any battles that have caught your attention that you really like? But you stole my segue. So, Dana, are there any battles that have caught your attention that you really like above all of the others? Why, that you yes. Are... Yes, Joey. There are some battles I
0: would love to talk about. Thank you for asking. Hey, no. What? <laughs> <laughs> Dana, go ahead.
2: He's stealing every segue. I'm stealing, okay, I'm stealing every, every <laughs> Grand handoff. Grand theft segue here with Matt. <laughs> I don't know if this is one that I like necessarily so much as I think it's one that a lot of people are going to like because um, I just don't run many tutors anymore these days. Um, but Evasion of Akoria is a really good card. Mm. Um, green, green, and X. Um, when Invasion of Akoria enters the battlefield, search your library and or graveyard for a non-human creature card with mana value X or less and put it onto the battlefield. And if you do search your library this way, shuffle. And it comes into play with, with six... Um, Defense counters on it. Um, you know, tutors are always useful. So, like, if, if we were talking about cards that have, um, like, if you're not planning on flipping it over and you're just thinking about, like, the utility of it, double green and X to go get a thing isn't terrible cost at all, particularly in green where, like, this is a probably a turn two thing you could do to just go get a dried arbor and put it in play for for ramp. Like, if, if, if you just think of it as... A worst-case scenario, you're going to cast it kind of like as a Rampant Growth and go get yourself a Dried Arbor instead of a Forest. That's probably pretty decent. Mm -hmm. Um, And the ability to flip it over on the other side and have Zalortha an 8-8 with Reach. And for each non-human creature you control, you may have the uh, creature assign its damage as though it weren't blocked. Which is even better than trample, basically, because so it, it's, nothing's getting soaked up. So, so early game, if you have that in your opening hand, it can just be a ramp spell. Late game, it can go get a giant beater and the ability to flip it over into something that, like, basically is going to let you overrun people. Kind of is is amazing. So, like that—that that is a card that I would imagine we're going to see show up in a whole bunch of decks.
0: Well, and I think there's a ton of precedent too for. This type of card for this specific card, Invasion of Akoria, to get a lot of play. So when you look at Green Sun Zenith, it is played in almost 94,000 decks yeah. on EDH Rec. It does kind of the same thing. It's one green, pay X, search your library for a green creature card, X or less, put on battlefield, shuffle, green sun. But also Court of Calling is played in almost 80,000 decks. So like mm-hmm. there, those are two cards right there that have a very, very direct comparison to what Invasion of Akoria is doing. I don't love tutors. I, I like the randomness, but this card has a lot of precedent to be played a lot, and it flips over into a mm-hmm. massively powerful, powerful effect.
1: I, Matt, I feel like you didn't even name the biggest allegory here, which is Finale of Devastation. Like, also, X Green Green, search a library and graveyard for a creature card with converted mana caused to less mm-hmm. goes right onto the battlefield. And if X is big enough, then all of your creatures get a big, huge bump. But, I mean, th- you don't always need that. Like Dana said, you can just get the Dryad Arbor. <laughs> that's amazing finale of devastation showing up in more than one hundred thousand decks so yeah dana you were saying that a lot of people might like invasion of icoria invasion of icoria is by far the most popular battle so far sure. it's showing up i mean you know it's early data yet folks but it's showing up in nearly four thousand decks at the current moment and the next most popular battle card is showing up in just 1600 so this one is definitely you know gonna <laughs> do some work um, and if I can be especially a butt about Invasion of Ikoria, I know I love mentioning Babala Saga, but you bet your butt that I put Invasion of Ikoria into my Babala Saga deck because I can pay two mana, get a battle as a card type, and go fetch out like a Knight or an Ornithopter and also have an artifact and a creature. All three types for just two mana. I also love this thing. This thing's great. Even if I'm not ever going to flip it over and I'm just going to eat it for a Baba Potion, this thing is awesome.
2: Well, let's come back to talking about the those weird corner cases that just the addition of battles in general affect things like Baba Lasagna later on. So <laughs> after, we'll, we'll come back to this.
1: Yes, yeah. We still have some, Matt is allowed to tell his favorites now. Uh, we he, Now that he has done his his time for stealing my segue. <laughs> well, I do love Invasion of Akoria.
0: Yes, it's, it's probably doing some of the most matte things of all the battles, but there are two other green battles. Of course, I want to talk about the green ones because it's the best color, <laughs> but also they're doing some of the wildest things too. So Invasion of Chandelar, I am very much excited for, in just any deck that likes to play a bunch of big, beefy creatures, which I typically do, this is going to do a lot of work. So Invasion of Chandelar is three green-green for a battle that has four defense counters. When the Invasion of Chandelar enters the battlefield, return up to three target permanent cards from your graveyard to your hand, and then when it flips, it turns into Leyline Surge, which reads that it's an enchantment that at the beginning of your upkeep, you may put a permanent card from your hand onto the battlefield. Uh, So it's a free Elvish Piper every turn, which is... Silly, and I love it.
2: Yeah, there's so much value to be had in that, and the fact that it only takes four defense counters to to flip it, mm-hmm. um, is is very surprising, and and additionally, it's flipping over into an enchantment, which at least of, of the things we've seen is one of the more difficult of these permanent types to then remove as well. Mm. So uh, you're going to probably get pretty good value out of that card, and and um, yeah, I, this is a, another one of the ones similar um, to Invasion of Macquarie that I f- I feels like. Just has a lot of homes and a lot of different decks because it's just so broadly useful at a bunch of different power levels.
1: See, I had expected Matt to bring up the invasion of Zendikar as one of his top favorites, which
2: I also like. I said I like
0: two of the other green ones, and that is the other one. Cool. So okay. you give it time, Joseph. You, 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 I know I stole the segue, and so you're in a hurry now. Yes. Yeah. But <laughs> but yes, invasion of Chandelar, or excuse me, invasion of Zendikar. This one, the other Alar. Uh, invasion of Zendikar is three in a green for basically it's just an explosive vegetation. You can search your library for up to two basic lands, put them on a battlefield tapped, and then shuffle your library. Has three defense counters. Flips into Awakened Skyclave, which is a elemental. It's a four four. Has vigilance and haste, and Awakened Skyclave is on the battlefield. It's a land in addition to its other types, and you can tap it to add one mana of any color. So. You get a 4-4 mana dork that's going to do a lot of work
1: for you. And it's an elemental. Like, this is the thing that's huge for me. Like, maybe this is a little bit niche case, but, like, this feels so at home in an Omnath Luxus of Rage deck, because it gets you the two lands. Mm -hmm. If one of your elementals flips, Omnath can ping this thing for the three damage, flip it over into a land, which gets you another elemental, and this is also an elemental. So you're getting even more benefit. It feels like this card was tailor-made for one of your very favorite commanders.
0: It's it's a very good card that I'm going to put into and deck and and
1: deck. Yes. And 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 by that I mean multiple of my decks. Well, and, and also, like, Invasion of Z- like, this, it's four mana to get two basics. Again, at baseline, that's great. Explosive Vegetation is still showing up in 51,000 decks these days, and it has been outclassed by so many things. Invasion of Zendikar is another v- a version of a card that is just, like, Explosive Vegetation has been left in the dust. Migration Path is yet another. There are so many other things that are four mana get two basics, but they have other incidental upside that, uh, y'all, if you're still playing Explosive Vegetation, They've made better explosive vegetations. <laughs> you, you have a chance to correct that mistake is what we're saying. Well, and since then, I,
0: I guess I did wait until the second half of the show to talk about my favorites. Joey, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> I I will. Uh, I'm going to throw out one more because I really like Invasion of Call Time. So it's three and a red for a battle that comes in with four defense counters. At, when Invasion of Call Time enters the battlefield, exile all cards from your hand and then draw that many cards. And until the end of your next turn you may play cards exiled this way. So right off the bat, you kind of get to wheel your hand, but you exile them and you get to play them until your next turn. We've talked about impulse draw being such a powerful addition to reds card draw suite. And right there, you you ditch your hand, but you still have a chance to cast them until your next turn. So it's not entirely wasted. Mm. And you get a new hand right off the bat. And then it flips over into pyre of the world tree, which I, I know that we're supposed to evaluate cards Basically based off its front face that that's kind of how I think folks should be evaluating these but pyre of the world tree gives you so much just late game juice and, and I think especially for I know we're not a standard or a 60 card format but I think in 60 card formats invasion of call time is going to be pretty potent for red decks in the late game but you have a chance to turn into an enchantment that says you can discard a land card, Pyre of the World Tree deals two damage to any target, and then whenever you discard a land card, exile the top card of your library, you may play that card this turn. So you're turning lands that otherwise would have been dead cards Mm -hmm. into great, great card advantage engines. And that's just something so good for mono red decks, even in Commander.
1: Yeah, no, that's very true. And, you know, I also want to note that Overall, it doesn't feel like these are good stuffy cards that go just anywhere, they feel like they have niche homes like invasion of sokovia for example is the blue one that makes two 1-1 kraken tokens with trample and it can flip into a really cool untapper card and this is just a really neat effect that it feels it feels like it's got some very specific homes like in the new convoke decks or if you're playing a mutate deck i, I have to imagine that these bodies would be really cool to mutate onto or if you're playing a polymorph deck and you need token fodder that sort of thing like each of those applications is pretty particular and you know, speaking of tokens, there's also the new Invasion of New Phyrexia, too, which is the blue-white X battle that makes X knight tokens. And I just encountered this card in multiple games against Teferi Magic, the cosplayer. We were just playtesting some cards against each other, and he used this one multiple times in his new Sadar Jabari of Jalfir deck, which is a really great fit, because that deck cares about knights. So again, a pretty specific home for this new card. And I gotta say, the dynamic that that card created in the game was really cool. The first time that he played it he gave it to someone who had no blockers and then flipped it immediately into the planeswalker on the back half and he was able to make a bunch of emblems with that planeswalker to power up his knights for the rest of the game and in another game he played that invasion card again and he made knights with it but the board got wiped before he was able to defeat it and flip it but then next turn he just played one creature onto an empty board and the battle was still waiting right there and we were all like Oh, there. there's nothing we can do about this, huh? So even when he didn't flip it right away, the tension that that thing had still just hanging in the air, defenseless after a board wipe, I just thought that was a really cool moment. So the nicheness is cool, the front halves can still be really darn good, even if you never flip them, but they have a a lot of play to them that we get to explore and discover, and I'm excited to discover
2: them. Well, what you, you talk about a lot of play to discover, too. I mean, there's a lot of play to these kind of outside of the battles themselves as well, and I think, Joel, you mentioned that talking about Baba Lasagna. Mm. Um, that's a card that cares about you sacrificing card types. Mm-hmm. Well, we've just got a new one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your ability now to like have different choices to hit those three card types has just expanded. Um, and this actually again, speaking of things that came up tonight, somebody cast a Nighthawk scavenger in their vampire deck against me when the the invasion of Fiora card was in my graveyard. Oh. So that made Nighthawk Scavenger a larger creature than it would have been. You know two weeks ago when battles weren't something we had access to um tarmagoic being the most popular example from from non-commander formats uh, for a lot of years was a terror in in eternal formats as a just a large creature type because it gets you know plus one plus one for each different card type in your graveyard well we just once again have gotten another card type so potentially goif could get even larger or at least it's easier for it to get larger given you know access to to more types to hit that number the delirium mechanic from shadows over innistrad oh um, yeah that cares about like it basically reads if you have four or more card types in your graveyard then this thing happens so maybe the creature gets stronger or you draw a card whatever um again it's just easier to hit that threshold now and there's not a ton of delirium cards to see some play, but Descend Upon the Sinful is in over 4,000 decks in EDH Rack. That's a, a, a card that makes angel tokens. Um, and Traverse the Uvenwald is in almost 7,000 decks. So, like, that is going to be relevant. It's going to be easier to hit those delirium thresholds just because there's more cards that, that hit that point now. It's
0: like good, good guy Dana trying to find reasons to play Delirium cards in Commander. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: But listen, he's talking <laughs> about Graveyard, so I love it.
2: Right, right. And there's not that many of these things. Consuming Blob cares about the amount of you know card types as well, and that's in 3,500 decks. Um, you know, Bob Lasagna, Joey is playing that commander that cares about him. I talk Scavenger is in almost 35,000 decks. So, like, yeah, I-, I would say the addition of battles isn't a reason to begin running any of these cards. But if you were already <laughs> doing it, it just does slightly change how effective they are.
1: Yeah, technically, Aminatu's Augury, if I ever uh, flip a battle
2: <laughs> off, the, off the top sure, of that, right.
1: I, I don't know that I'm going to put a battle into a, a thing that with Aminatu's, but, you know, maybe it could happen. And those are nice little edges that it's good to, you know, be aware of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm all about those. Now, now, here's... This is, like, my one last rumination on this, is that, like, this is battle with the subtype Siege. And the Siege is specifically the thing that you give to the opponent and you can fight. And so, like... I, I that implies that there will be other types of battles in the future other types of of play to it and I don't think that I want to see any that are like oh here's a battle that I have to defend because that might feel a little bit too much like planeswalkers which I already have to defend but I don't know Dana talk me down if I am in, in, indeed off my rocker uh but like I I'm kind of wondering whether we'll see other subtypes here that end up being like some type of king of the hill multiplayer situation. Like it's in the middle where everyone is in fact encouraged to attack it. I I'm wondering if there's anything that you might see, uh, in the future for how battles could expand or if you like them exactly where they are.
2: Um, I, I like them where they are, but like, there's no reason they can't open that up. There, you know, you could do a bunch of different things. We talked. You mentioned king of the hill. There's situations where like the person who does knock all the defense counters off it could gain control of whatever the flip side is. Um, th- there could be situations where, you know, very easily, the, the as counters are removed from a battle, it deals damage to the person who's defending it. Mm. So you have, like, other ways to encourage other people to attack it, perhaps. There's just a, there's a lot of things I think they can do that are very open-ended um, beyond just this current siege implementation. Um, and I don't want to delve too deeply into like guessing what ideas they may have, but, but I would wager we will begin to see them very, very quickly as new sets come out.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of potential just because whenever they introduce a new card type, Mm -hmm. they're kind of opening it up to all sorts of different gateways. And so, yeah, I, I don't have any personal hopes and dreams for what they do with battles. I'm curious to see what they do. I, I, am always intrigued by what the design team can come up with, but as far as specific expectations uh, just they have fun.
1: Yeah, and and Matt, uh, I think really what I'm hoping for is that we get some type of battle that allows us to play a commander version of the game King of Tokyo. I uh, that, oh. that's kind of that's what I'm hoping for.
0: You just <laughs> named my favorite freaking board game ever, so I'm dig right. I'm on board with this. <laughs> You're on board game with this even. I I, <laughs> I I know you didn't get the first dad joke, but you, you stepped up your game as we went on. <laughs> All right, well, well, gents. Since we, we've been battling about the dad jokes all day, let's battle our way into just wrapping up the show. We, we've talked about uh, we've talked a lot today. Um, so hopefully, listeners, we'd love to hear what you think about battles, anything you're hopeful for, which ones you're most excited about, et cetera. Just let us know in the comments on the YouTube
1: video. Mm-hmm. And most importantly, was there a plane that we didn't see get invaded that needs to be invaded? This is also very important information for everyone. (laughs) All right, yeah, let's call this to a close. This was a really fun discussion. I am excited to see what we can explore with this new card type in the future. And fellas, if our listeners want to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find us online? Matt? So you can find me on the
0: Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash EDH And whenever we do stream, we have guests on, and it's always a fun time playing games. So make sure you tune in for all that fun as well. And
1: Dana.
2: You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach and I'm running articles for EDH Rec and Commanders Herald and you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash
1: And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz and you can find the cast at EDH RecCast on all the online spaces as well. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDH at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but... Until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck.